Hello and welcome to the Hit Shuffle Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And I am your host, Dave. Welcome to episode 23. 23. So what have you been listening to recently? Uh, I have been, as usual, all over the place, as I say like every time. So I don't know why I need to say it at this point. Uh, <laughs> had some Black Joe Lewis and the Honey Bears. Oh, I was just listening to them the other day. Such such a good... I don't even know... like blues rock i don't i don't really it's there there yeah it just it's super good super fun blues ish inspired jam i don't even know like classic (laughs) backcountry blues yeah it's 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 real good yeah And then on a little bit of a different page, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. Oh, very nice. Going with the old school emo, even though I didn't actually get into the album until like 10 years after it was (laughs) popular. So it's a little bit different for me. Uh, what about you? What have you been listening to? So I'm staying in the little bit more of a hardcore space. First, I've been listening to the band The Ongoing Concept. That's uh, a good name. Have, it is. They have an actual, I, I guess it's a concept album. Well, I mean, that would fit. It's ongoing. <laughs> uh, but it's called Saloon. But the song is called Cover Girl. And they have, in the song, there's a banjo. Okay. To start off with. A hardcore song with a banjo. And there's a banjo that leads into a breakdown, and it's just, it's the greatest thing ever. Th- I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah, that's so good. That sounds sick. <laughs> then I've also been listening to a little bit of Mathcore. Always good. With the Dillinger Escape Plan. Ooh, nice. Classic. Uh, the One of Us is the Killer album and track. That's just a good one. I'm, those those guys are, I think, kind of not talked about enough no. now for how influential they were and I think how many bands they inspired. Absolutely. And if you want to listen to these songs as well, you can find them on our Hit Shuffle Podcast playlist on Spotify. So we're going to take a short little break right here. We'll come right back and we will start rolling dice. And we are back. All right, Matt, let's roll that die and see what you get. Six. I six. Think. Does it have yeah. a line under it? Six. Okay. Yeah. Six. <laughs> I can never read six. Let's go ahead and see what we get. So we got Spring Heel Jack, Where I Belong. Nice. Nice little uh, relatively unknown ska band. At least unknown now, yeah. yeah. With some great connections. 
Yeah, a lot of them. Okay, again, that is Where I Belong by Spring Hill Jack, author 1998 album Songs from Suburbia. It's good shit. Great band. Great album. Love these guys. Gotta say, uh, not one of my most listened to songs off the album, but it's uh, better than I remember. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's real good. Now, these guys are from Connecticut originally. They formed in 91, uh, had a number of hiatuses starting in 2000. They planned on playing reunion shows after that and as different members went to different bands, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh, yes, founding drummer uh, Dave Karchich suddenly passed away at age 28 in 2002. Such a bummer. I mean, that's I can't imagine. That's just got to be so rough for everyone involved. Yeah. I mean, something like that is super sudden, too. Like, it's not something you could really track yeah i mean it's just like one of those things where something <laughs> suddenly happens and then you're gone and like 28 like now I, i'm at the point where it's like wow that's that's so young yeah right <laughs> it's like damn 28 like holy shit Didn't now i i learned about these guys back in 2000 99 2000 right around there and Unfortunately, I never got to see the original lineup live. I still haven't seen them live, but I I would love to see Spring Hill Jack in their prime. Would have been amazing. Yeah, like 1998, 1999, yeah. going those. After this album came out, they did quite a number of large tours. Bands like Real Big Fish and the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, which was, you know, 1998, 1999 was when Real Big Fish and the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones were really, like, blowing up and... That brief time where ska was popular in the mainstream, yeah, it was like the day. MTV era <laughs> of ska, yeah, where you'd be on TRL, you know. What everybody I mean? loved ska for a month, and then everybody's hated it ever since. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's going to make a comeback here soon with some of these smaller bands coming up. I feel like there, yeah, there people probably don't know about it, but there still is an active ska scene around and there are you know you know a lot of very good bands putting out very good music even though nobody talks about ska unless they're a ska fan (laughs) right (laughs) specifically now speaking of other ska bands one of my favorite ska bands less than jake has a connection to spring hill jack and jr the saxophone player yes and he was the only saxophone player during this album and actually half of their first album. Yep. Little, little funny, I thought uh, the saxophone player that had been in the band at the beginning part of the band decided halfway through recording their first full length album to leave. Yeah. So the album has about half the saxophone work recorded by him, and then the band brought in JR, who had the, recorded the other half. Yep. Which so, is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just leaving halfway, like you record saxophone for half the tracks and then you're like, no, nah, I'm done. Yeah, you know, unless there was like some kind of 
had to leave situation type deal like i i can't imagine doing that yeah i mean at least just finish the recording like there's been times where people have recorded the album and then left the band and not toured on the album or anything i want to say this came up before on one of the ones we talked about where somebody recorded half the album and ended up leaving but i can't remember yeah i can't remember but it it definitely did pretty sure it was real big fish it probably was when Scott joined it, the band. It's such a ska band thing to have happen. Pretty sure it was when Scotty joined the band. I think so. Yeah, yeah it was midway through. Midway through know? an album or something like that. I I don't know what it is, but horn players and ska bands just leave all the time and with no warning. Yeah, and they seem to rotate through. Yeah, just rotate through bands. Because you know, especially in a band like this that was kind of early on and active at the early age of the. Th- third wave ska scene so they had guys that then went on to be in a whole bunch of other bands right but it i mean it's just like you look at some of these horn players and it's they've been in pretty much every popular ska band at some point or another they've gone around like less than jake when we did that it was surprising how steady once they they got their horn section was Hey, how consistent Fairly steady yeah. for a long period of time. Whereas, like, Real Big Fish, there's not a... I mean, even Scott, who is kind of well-associated with that, was not in the band for a long part at the beginning no. and then has not been in the band for a while. For a while now, yeah. So it's like Real Big Fish has had about 100 line, different lineups yeah, of horn players. They had a lot. Including the late Tyler Jones, who... At one point was in Spring Hill Jack. Spring Hill Jack, yeah. It's because horn players don't get enough love. Nobody respects the horn players like they should. Yeah, it could, you know, maybe they just don't feel appreciated. So, you know, they'll go because, you know, ska bands always need horn players. Like, you can always add another horn player. True. Now, one thing with Spring Hill Jack that you might see when you look them up is the addition of Spring Hill Jack USA. Yeah, I I had seen like the usa at various points you know looking them up or streaming them or illegally streaming them as we used to do back in the day right uh and i never really knew what the deal with that was and it was not at all what i expected yeah it was a legal dispute with a uk band of the same name almost the same almost it was spring heel jack they didn't have the ed which is kind of weird since you'd think taking the name from a mythical figure yeah yeah, so it, I guess the names were close enough. Because a lot of times with this, it's like two bands have the same name. Right. Exact name. Exact same name. And it, that's that makes sense for a differentiator. But for A, one to be a ska band from the United States and the other one to be an electronic artist from the UK, yeah, I, I, I don't see how they're going to cross, cross paths and have it become an issue yeah they're not playing shows together i really don't i i don't know i mean i didn't find a ton of information about it it seemed like the british band was the one who kind of initiated the legal goings which i thought was funny that they then never put uk in their name which was part of the agreement so spring hill jack apparently did not put the usa very much they only really put it out when they like legally have to i'd imagine of like certain releases certain you know anything that has some kind of contract associated with it they probably have to put the usa on there but i mean since the other guys never did their part i feel like that spring jack usa you don't see very much it 
you know, doesn't really matter because I I mean, I don't think the other guys even got as popular as Spring Hill Jack the Ska Band did. Not that I saw. I mean, I'm not real big in the UK electronic scene, but they didn't get Oh, you're not? No. No. <laughs> they, they they didn't get, you know, big over here anyway. No. So, I don't know. I feel like just sitting around waiting until somebody has a band name similar to yours and then trying to go after them legally and then not even abiding by your own part of the agreement just is shady behavior. But like, imagine that. So that was in the 90s, like late 90s. Imagine doing that now where the list of band names, like similar or the same band names, is yeah. just astronomical. I mean, there's now it's you know, so many bands over the years and especially with the internet where so many, you know, people can have a band and it like it's one release or whatever, but it's still on the internet. There's identical band names. There's band names that are like takes on other band names. Yeah. There's band names that's just an album or song from another band. Yep. Like and I think it's really funny because generally it seems to be like uh in Britain they kind of think it's ridiculous how sue happy we are over here and then it's a british but they're band the ones going that and suing an yeah. american band for a name mix-up that nobody probably would have ever made no. they probably like played the uk or something like that and somebody saw it and was like oh that's the same yeah we i gotta mean, change it i i feel like uh, an American ska band and a UK electronic band in the late 90s are not going to be playing in the same venue. No. <laughs> There's really not a, much chance for anybody to mix it up. It just kind of seemed like it was like they saw it and like, let's sue them. Yeah. Now, you said that this is a song you wouldn't normally go to, but I imagine one you would is Jolene. Yeah, there's quite a few bangers on this album. Uh, you've got Jolene, of course, which was the single, had the video, and I think probably if somebody's only ever heard one Spring Heel Jack song. Probably Jolene. Probably Jolene. And a fun, funny little thing I saw about that, uh, that song specifically, is the video that they made, where they had originally sold their tour van, which is what the song is about. Oh, yes, I did. This was yeah. a really funny little story I saw. But they were like, oh, we want to record a music video, but they didn't feel right not having the original van. So they bought the original van back. To do the video. To do the video, and then sold the van <laughs> yeah. again once the video was done. They, did, they didn't have a strong enough connection to keep the van no. permanently, but they had to do... Yeah, they they needed like, the better van, but they couldn't keep the original van after recording the video. I mean, that kind of sounds like... Uh, Something maybe the Wonder Years would have ended mm -hmm. up doing later. With that sounds the, like some shit we would have done. Yeah, like well, it's got to be the the, it's original, be the original van. van. You just you get really attached to your van. You do. I miss the green van. It was dope. It was. Speaking of green, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what I was gonna say that. If there was one song off this album I would always go to, it would actually be Pop, Pop Song, song Green, Green yep. which was, I think, the first Spring Heel Jack song I ever heard is how you introduced me to the band. It's a good song. It's a very good song. And I think also Mass Appeal Madness and Makasupa Policeman would be the yes. other songs, would be the first ones I would go to off of this album. But this song is, is it, quite solid. I, I mean, I've heard it before, but... Going through, I feel like it's definitely the same quality as the other songs that I listen to more. Yeah. 
I mean, it's this. I mean, this whole album is good. I'd say I would go out and say most of the songs that they released are good. Yeah, I mean, you really don't have a lot of material with, uh, despite the band being semi-active for so long. Yeah. There's pretty much the two albums in the '90s, and then one like digital album they released in some point in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, but not that long ago, actually. And this, you know, most of the material was written with, I, I mean, I guess the core lineup, if the band had a core lineup, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like what, what this album would be here. So it's, I mean, it's all just a bunch of really good ska musicians writing some really solid ska music. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, they did come back in 2010 after their original hiatus for some performances. 2010, 2011, they did some acoustic stuff. 2013, they wanted to come back full-time as a full band. But it wasn't, I guess it wasn't really successful. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they like they came back on a full, like, it says a full-time basis, but it seems like it's more like what the original intention was after the hiatus. Right, where like it's the play like, show, like every sh- show every now and again. Yeah, because a lot of this seems like it's, you know, it's festivals or certain shows in kind of like the East Coast area around, you know, around where the band's based. I, so it seems it's more like that than like an actual touring full-time. Right, because then it says that they... 2013, they wanted to come back, and then 2015, they returned again for another stint of shows, and then in 2017 is when they released that the last bit of music, and then worked on that through 2019. It's like every two years, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Now there's various different lineups throughout all the various reunion yes. shows over the past 10, 15 years, but no uh, bar graph. Yeah, I was quite surprised, despite having possibly the most previous members of any band we've had so far yeah the wikipedia did not have the bar graph that we've come to love so much but every lineup seems to include uh the two original guitarists of uh ron ragona and mike pellegrino yeah and then it seems pretty much throughout all of the reunion era they've had the same drummer i believe so yeah since there's so many, you know, there's the 2010 reunion lineup, there's the 2011 acoustic reunion lineup, there's the 2019 reunion lineup. There's a lot of lineups. But then also for various, I guess, like shows or runs of shows, they've had other people come back. Uh, Chris Rhodes, who was in the band uh, in the 90s, you know, for this album and everything, who left to be in the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, came back here and there for shows throughout the years yep and is currently or at least as of 2022 has been playing shows with the band again since the bostones uh yeah once the were destroyed by dickie barrett yeah absolutely demolished and jr actually though he generally has not been involved with the band since he joined less than jake he did uh show up for the 21st anniversary of this album in 2019, they played a, a single night show where they played the album in full, and both Rhodes and Jr. returned. Which would have been so dope to see. That would have that been so good. Outside of the late 90s, that yeah. probably would have been the best. Like this album in full with as close to the original lineup as you could get. Yeah. Now, I mean, they've 
up till last one that's listed, the most recent show is April of 2022. Yeah, so, I mean, they seem to be at least still currently active or semi-active, however you want to think about it, playing at least a couple shows a year here and there. So there's still a chance I could see them live in some iteration. Yeah, I mean, and, like, the show in 2022 was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So it's... Was it Bethlehem or something like that? Uh, ben Salem. Ben Salem. They played with Memphis eh, Memphiscopheles Mustard Plug and the Pie Tasters, which, wow, how, <laughs> how did I never see anything about that yeah, show Yeah, I know, like, that's, that's why I don't understand, is how I didn't see that. That is a hell of a lineup. Now, going into the actual song itself, I mean, there's a, a, a short count right into a saxophone solo. Yeah, I mean the horns get you right it's from right, right from the beginning, and it, like the horn work is just immaculate throughout. It's so good. It's clean, like it's recorded really well. The playing is just technically proficient, and like the melodies are really catchy. Yep, it's just good shit. And then it has that, uh, so it goes from that saxophone solo into like the 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 main horn part, I guess you could say. Yeah, uh, like that, the the horn melody, the melody that goes to the song. Yeah. And then it hits you with that that classic ska guitar and organ part. The upstrokes and the little organ hits. Yeah, I, the, the organ is a really nice touch. Yeah really adds a lot and like the guitar it's not i mean ska guitar is never really supposed to be prominent or anything no, it's, it's not. just it's, it's it's there it's upstrokes it's supposed to be like almost percussive yeah it's more rhythmic when where the, like the, the bass and the horns the bass the horns and and usually like some kind of keyboard or the the main driving force of a song and uh one thing i noticed was that the guitar and the organ are panned hard left and right oh, i didn't even notice yeah, that they were they were hard left and right so, which is uh, something we don't, well, not the panning, which is, but with the guitar being, you know, less of a focus and more of like a rhythmic percussive thing with ska music, that's kind of very different from almost all of the other music like that we listen to or talk about here. Yeah, it's usually guitar focused. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, it's funny how the the guitar is such an important iconic part of ska music, but it doesn't really do very much. Like it's just it's that upstroke sound. Every yeah, it, ska song, like the guitar is almost interchangeable. It has its own specific way of playing and doing it, but it's never the focus of the song. It has its yeah, own like, thing, but not focused on, which is crazy. If it wasn't there, the song would sound weird. Yeah. But it's like. At no point are you like, oh man, like this guitar is like so sick, like, and it it just dun dun dun. <laughs> yup, <laughs> sure is. Anyway, and now there are some uh, some horn accents uh, towards the end of the verses, and it goes into the big open chorus uh, with the horn parts, and it, there's almost like a halftime beat going on. Yeah, it does get um it's like these big hits and then it goes into like a halftime beat. Yeah, you can get a bit of like the punk pop punk kind of 
influence in yeah. the third wave ska and in the chorus and verse dynamic you get and this is that good like late 90s pop punk sound yeah it's yeah. where you get that shift and then i think a real nice touch is the choruses all go into a horn solo yeah because this before leads, it goes back into the next this verse leads into a trumpet solo which all of the solos are just Great. I mean, I I prefer the trombone solo that we'll get to in a minute, uh, most of all. But this trumpet solo is also just... They're all good. And that takes you back into your verse with your guitar and your organ, with the, like, the staccato horn stings this time. Change it up a little bit. Yeah, it changes it up a little bit. Back into your chorus again with your hits and then back in your halftime. And then this time it goes into... The trombone part. Oh, it's so good. And not only that, but the the guitar in this part is different than the other ones too. Yeah, and the transition out of the chorus yeah. is different with the just the music and vocals as a whole. The guitar is like climb while the trump the trombone's doing its thing. And has that little roll at the beginning. Yeah, I don't I don't really know much about like horn technique or anything, but whatever that real staccato kind of thing is that the trombone does there it just i don't know it just sounds so good to me <laughs> one of those things it's just right so did I. now that solo leads into the bridge which is you know, a little bit different and kind of follows the the halftime feeling that you get in the chorus. Yeah, it kind of switches it up in a little bit of a different vibe from like the ska. I don't know what I'm saying. It's just no, no, it's yeah. true. Like it, it is a it's a completely different vibe than what you're getting because uh, it's like these kind of like rolls into big hits with the drums and these big open guitars. I expect it to go into the chorus, but it actually goes back into a verse again with the guitar, the, the ska upstrokes, and the organ. I feel like Spring Hill Jack uh, did that quite a lot, where they would bring in different sounds or elements like into the ska. There's other songs that have sections like that where it'll be kind of a vibe from another style of music that they've blended into the middle right. of the ska song. Yeah, Where a lot of the ska bands in the 90s were really just like, third wave ska straight up right yeah where it was more punk you know and it ends on a double chorus and uh lyrically pretty pretty straightforward i mean i think so ska a lot of ska you know your lyrics are not going to be some kind of deep poetic type of thing that's not always the vibe but this is kind of just like he liked a girl and the girl didn't like him back and then He's like, well, I don't like you then. <laughs> See, I got a little, a little bit different out of it. I got was that they were actually in a relationship with somebody. That relationship went sour. The other partner went to somebody else. That relationship failed, and then that person tried to come back. Uh, yeah. See, I, did, I, I can totally see that. I, yeah. did, I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that reading, but that's the beauty of lyrics is people can get totally different things but i can yeah there are a couple lines that i definitely make more sense when you look at it that way essentially the, the really the chorus is what kind of gets it. it told you from the start you owned my heart but when he said goodbye so did i yeah see that's the 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 
he references is what was kind of throwing me. I I was trying to piece together like he liked the girl and then the girl was like got with another guy instead of him but it, it didn't make sense really it definitely makes more sense the way that you're uh you're saying it it's come a fucking genius <laughs> which which kind of i mean the attitude of the narrator of the song goes a little more with that too because it's very bitter yeah yeah. Which, I mean, I think most of us at some point in our lives have had somebody leave and fail with somebody else and then try to come back and you're like, uh, no. It's like you really <laughs> like that person, but they were horrible to you. You still really like that person when they went to somebody else and you realize that, oh shit, that person's horrible. And then when they left the other person, they tried to come back and you're like, no, this, that, was, that, was, that was bad. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Get away yeah. from me. Well, you know, there are those types of people out there that, you know, do that. They'll be with somebody and then think they have somebody better, so they leave, and then yeah. it turns out that somebody better sucks, and then they're like, oh, no, I want to come back. I can and just like, fall back on the last person. Like, yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> because you you can't, like, throw somebody away, and that's inspired a lot of songs, though. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Like this one, and, I mean, this is a good song, so I kind of feel bad for the guy if this happened to him but it inspired a really good song it really so. did you can't have good music without pain you just even happy sky music you gotta have pain behind there somewhere Well, right again, that was Where I Belong by Spring Heeled Jack off the 1998 Songs from Suburbia. So we're going to take another short little break, and we'll be right back for Dave's turn. Word up. Okay, we are back. So Dave, go ahead and roll that die. Let's see what you get. 17. Oh, God. 17. <laughs> 17. <laughs> oh, shit. The Ballad of Steve by Frank Turner and John Snodgrass off their album Buddies. Man, big news day today. <laughs> big oh, news day big, today. You know, I enjoy watching the news on the best of days, but today was a particularly good news day. Did you hear about that guy Steve? The flight attendant? You gotta write a song about oh, that. Oh, man. Guy. We should write a ballad about Steve. I, I agree. I think it should be a fast one in like a A minor. That is The Ballad of Steve uh, by Frank Turner and John Snodgrass off of their split EP Buddies. Big news day. <laughs> That's where I was going next. <laughs> Just absolutely great way for a song to open. Just a southern man genuinely excited about what he's what he's read in the news. And I don't blame him. Now, Buddies is an EP that was written and recorded by Frank Turner and John Snodgrass. Uh, while they were on tour together in 2010. And I, I've i loved this ever since I found it uh, through just searching through Frank Turner's discography, I think. And basically, uh, they were on tour together, and then one night they 
drank whiskey and decided to write an album. That sounds about right. I've never heard this before. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's really good. Definitely listen through like the rest of the songs yeah. sometime. Uh but yeah, they uh wrote the entire album in 4 hours and one night while they were drinking whiskey and hanging out and then they recorded it the next day. That's dope. Yeah. So, uh a lot of the songs are like this. Uh they're talking about current events, pop culture at the time or there's a couple songs about stories that happened on that tour that they were on at the time. Yeah, I have to listen to, the, listen to that album. Uh, but it, it's like they just, they vibe so well together and you can tell it's just two dudes that enjoy hanging out and jamming music together and having a good time. Now we talked about Frank way back in episode two. Yes, one of the very first ones that I got. But as a refresher, he is, a, he is considered a folk punk artist. Makes sense. But it came out of the post-hardcore scene. Yeah, I feel like his folk and his punk are separate for the most part. Yeah. I mean, his, it's like punk-inspired folk-sounding music, right. I guess. Because folk punk is kind of its whole own thing that I, <laughs> well, I really wouldn't associate him with. But then he went solo in 2005 and, and been doing stuff like this ever since. Yeah, all kinds of, uh, I mean, he's put out a massive amount of material. Yeah. And uh, John Snodgrass has also put out a massive, massive amount, amount of material. material. Yeah. yeah, and I was quite surprised. I did not know much of John Snodgrass outside of this, and then he and Frank made a Buddies 2 in 2020. But yeah, he has a ton of material, and he's also worked with a ton of artists, and not necessarily who I would guess, considering that he himself is categorized as alternative country but uh he's worked with uh the guy from rise against the guy from Lagwagon, uh vinnie from less than jake uh one of the guys from mxpx mike herrera just all over the like really not a list of collabs you would expect to see from like a alt country bluegrass guy no but he's like a huge collaborator in the punk scene, which is really cool. Yeah, especially, I feel like a lot of these guys uh, in the punk scene probably have this kind of music that they maybe write and it just doesn't fit with, doesn't their, bands with their bands or anything. Yeah. And I mean, like Rise Against, there's, a, you know, like the it's swing kind of life there. away, yeah. you, could, you could tell it was there, but I think maybe, like, he didn't want to well, go that way too much with, with the band. Right. Joey Cape has... Similar, like, solo work. It's kind of in the same vein. Uh, Mike Herrera, I know he was done some acoustic stuff. So there's, you know, there's a whole secret culture of punk musicians who secretly like country-ish type stuff. But it's all, like, that classic country sound. Like, well, the yeah, bluegrass, the yeah. backwoods, like... The, the real good stuff, which the, is, like, I think what alt-country really yeah. is is like actual country not your hip-hop not your used pop, pop country, country. Yeah. that's it's it's that what what is actually redneck uh, yeah redneck country like the fuck yeah. the police take care of each other like real exactly. redneck like, shit like the legacy of like the outlaw yeah country and stuff yep. where you know guys with uh washboards and moonshine jobs yeah. and <laughs> I mean, like, like this is a a perfect example of that energy, though. It's just like two dudes 
drank whiskey, grabbed some guitars, wrote and some songs. wrote some songs. Just had a good time. And I mean, that you can tell that's what it is, because there's a lot of talking and ad-libs and stuff yep. uh, before and after the songs. And they're really just genuinely having a good time playing these songs and telling stories with each other. Like, imagine how many songs like this existed before, like, portable recording technology. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Like, imagine if you could go back to, like, way back and sit down with, like, some old, old school, yeah. just, like, two dudes in a living room somewhere playing guitar together and just, like, telling old country stories. That'd be dope as fuck. Yeah, and it just... It's only recently, like you said, with portable recording technology and that kind of stuff that two dudes can really just, wherever they're sitting drinking whiskey record music and Start you know songs, yeah. some on some level obviously this is not you know a highly produced no. studio album but it would sound really weird if it was right yeah because it would kind of lose the whole point of of uh of like, what they're trying to do you, you've got to wonder you know all the tours over the years how many famous musicians have sat backstage or in hotels or somewhere mm-hmm together each other, yeah. you know and nobody ever heard it or you know it just never occurred to record it because you know musicians just like jamming together yeah. you hear I, you used to hear stories like this coming out of like warp tour and stuff all the time yeah yeah it's like big bonfires and people just playing music together and imagine if that had been recorded <sighs> and especially with Guys like Frank and John that are very storytelling yes, type musicians story in artists. general with, you know, folk, at least lyrically very folk type. And Frank Turner has done a lot of stuff with actual folk music, like exploring classic British folk music from right. hundreds of years ago and right. everything. It's just, I think it comes naturally to them like i wonder how many times these two guys just sat around jamming on the tour before they were like we should record this right yeah exactly <laughs> i have this thing we can throw this down let's go ahead and throw down these tracks real quick and it, it's kind of sad i mean i know you know musicians go you know they do the tour and everything but it's kind of sad that there's only two of these and they were 10 years apart yeah i i mean I, granted i need to listen to more but just from what i've heard there needs to be a bunch of these. Yeah, I mean, it's really good, and it's just, they, they're they so natural singing together and everything. It just, it sounds like they've been doing this for a long time, but I'm pretty sure, I know, there's not really a lot of writing about this EP at all. No. But I'm pretty sure in one of the parts where they're talking or something, this tour was the first time they met. Oh, damn. Uh, and they were touring America. Frank was over here touring, and uh, John was also on the tour. So to have this chemistry when they'd only known each other for, you know, m maybe a couple months at most. Yeah. I mean, I've, been weeks. Yeah. yeah, obviously being on tour every night together, you're going to yeah. quickly develop a relationship. But I mean, and I'm this, sure they were they're familiar with each other, like their work, at least. Yeah, I know, because uh, Frank has always been interested in this type of folksy bluegrassy american music right so i'm sure that he was listening to john and vice versa everything but it's i mean it sounds like they've been touring together for years or playing music together for years not like they just recently met now the song itself 
as with I think most or all of the songs on this album, musically there there's not much to it and there's not supposed to be. It's a it's, classic acoustic storytelling ballad. Like yeah, that's you know, pretty much it's just at the beginning, like ballad in A minor. So fast, he just yep. he just does a strumming pattern of a chord progression in A minor and that's pretty much it. It's just about the story. Yeah. <laughs> and the and story Boy what a story. <laughs> now I vaguely remember this news story at the time happening. This was two thousand and ten. Because this, I think this happened like seriously right around when they recorded the album. Because the album was recorded in early August 2010, and this incident took place on August 9th, 2010. Yeah. So, I mean, it could have been that day, actually. Yeah, for, for they all really I know. could have looked at the news that day and saw that. Uh, but this is this is based on a true story, obviously. Um, it, you, it doesn't sound like it is, but it. it it is. Now, this is real. Having actually researched this and everything today, the song is based off of the man's alleged uh His series of, of yeah. events which is not <laughs> which is not corroborated by anybody else on the plane, but it it's a much more interesting story this Absolutely. way. Absolutely. There was a man named Steve who was a flight attendant. And one day, he had enough. Yeah. So, uh, according to the song and according to Steve's side of events, uh, there was a passenger when they landed who tried to get the bag out of the overhead bin too early, and he told them to stop, and they didn't. And then they hit him in the head. The plane touched down in Philadelphia. One old lady didn't do what Steve had told us. She stood up to get her bags while the plane was still moving. Steve marched down the aisle, all disapproving. Steve was polite, but he knew he was right. Steve... And then Steve said, Fuck it. <laughs> so Steve went and grabbed the phone, the overhead PA, and told all the passengers to go fuck themselves. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Cracked open two cans of Blue Moon, chugged them down, popped the emergency slide, and slid out of the plane. Walked off the tarmac into the sunset. That's wild. That's fucking wild. Now, to be clear, most of this did actually happen. The, the right, because this, this was from a passenger reported this. The part that is not corroborated is the initial confrontation with the passenger. Right. There's nobody on the plane that said the passenger pulled the bag out and hit Steve in the head and everything. So, don't know exactly what really happened to uh, to set Steve off, but... The cursing out the passengers over the PA, the chugging of the beers, and the sliding down the emergency slide did all happen. That all actually happened. And apparently, he threw his tie on the tarmac <laughs> as when he like as he walked away. Now, I mean, what a way to leave your job! This is long before the current fad of you know just treating a shit job like a shit job and having a funny quitting story. This was 12 years ago now. That's a great quitting story. Uh, yeah, I mean, even if there was no confrontation or whatever, just telling the passengers to fuck themselves, chugging two beers and going out the emergency slide. Great, great way. Although he did later say he didn't intend to quit, so that does kind of take some of the fire out of it. A little bit, but at the same time, like something had to have either been going on 
that was pushing him over the edge or this because this one incident probably wasn't the only time something like this happened. Well, yeah, I mean, he was a flight attendant for 20 years. Like, he's seen so some bullshit. I'm sure that, you know, the confrontation that he alleged did happen at some point in his career, probably numerous times. Yeah. Where people didn't listen and pulled a bag out and hit him or whatever. So, I mean, I feel like it didn't even really need to happen that day. No. Because, let's be real, in 2010 and still now, like, flight attendants get shit on. Oh, all the time. You know, it's it's really hard, and people are just absolute monsters on airplanes. <laughs> no one listens. And to, to basically have to run an adult daycare for 100-plus people in a small space. In a metal tube. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not fun. I mean, I don't like going on airplanes mainly because I don't like having to deal with the other passengers. True. And now you see, you know, every day there's some story in the news of, somebody on a plane freaked out being a dick climbing on top of the seats and attacking people and all kinds of stuff so who knows how many things like that steve Mm -hmm. experienced you know back before it all got reported on the news all the time because they're you know before everybody had twitter and videos and everything just stuff happened on the plane and pretty much the people on the plane knew about it that's so good (laughs) now my my second favorite part of this is all this went down Called security. JetBlue reported it to the police. After half an hour, which was its own issue. Right. But (laughs) then he went and got arrested while apparently he was engaging in sex. (laughs) So not only did he do all this, he went home and he was fucking. (laughs) Which I'm assuming was not in the news at the time. Frank and John wrote the song because that totally would have been in the song. Absolutely. But that, I mean, that's just, that's such a Steve way to get caught. Apparently, from what the, from what's going on here. Cops tracked him down, and he was banging. He was banging. Now, Steve has had a fairly quiet life since 2010. He's no longer chugging beers and diving out of emergency slides on planes. He, uh, he did community service for the event, and then, uh, Kind of went on living his life. He uh, understandably has had trouble getting employment. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's... He's famous for quitting (laughs) his job in one of the craziest ways possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, oddly enough, I saw that he was was actually interviewed uh, fairly recently. Uh, There was a Twitter employee... I don't remember when this was exactly, but a Twitter employee quit and they deactivated Trump's Twitter account. Yep. I remember that. Back when it was originally active as their kind of fuck you quit moment. And they apparently, some news outlet went and interviewed Steve as a reference for people (laughs) doing fuck you quit moments. And Steve told them not to second guess themselves and just you know, stick with what they did. So after all the years, you know, and trouble that it caused, Steve still, you know, stick stick to your guns with the uh, quitting a bad job and saying fuck you to the company on your way out. The good news is that he was able to recover from drug and alcohol addictions. Which, you know, those might have played a part in this incident, I would imagine, if, if he had those problems at the time. Well, it says he was he was having health problems himself, as well as a terminally ill mother. 
2017. Well, no, wait, no, that's I'm reading that wrong. He had a terminally ill mother as well at the time. Has to be stressful. So I'm sure he was in addition to a wee his bit stressed out. Very stressful job. Apparently, the main issue, criminal issue, actually with his behavior was safety. So concern yep. about the uh, emergency the, the slide. slide could have injured uh, ground crew around the plane, which you know I'm sure Steve wasn't thinking about at the time. Probably not. But I think it's funny also in researching this that it seems the incident uh in general the public still more on steve's side it's because we've all flown <laughs> on airplanes and we have seen those people everybody understands and also uh jet blue got into all various kinds of trouble because they just handled this incident very poorly right <laughs> you know, they and had more <laughs> like they were handling it like internally as opposed to getting like yeah, the, it was it's, it's, the the right government things involved, like you're supposed to. Said it took them thirty minutes before they yeah, informed some authorities outside of their own company. Which, when you had, like, I didn't think about it, but it did, you know, raise concerns because there was a man with two suitcases walking by a bunch of airplanes across the tarmac. At no point did anybody like right. stop him or do anything. Because it wasn't reported to what was it the FAA? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, I think so. It's like I mean. He just bounced out of the plane and left and went home to have sex. But if he had more sinister <laughs> intentions, you right, know, it could have been a real bad situation. Like if he had, you know, explosives or something in his bags, he had access to all kinds of airplanes that were boarding and, yeah. and you know, getting ready to take off. External entrances and exits that other people don't have access to. And so, you know, in general, the idea that a man with baggage could just wander around the tarmac and like nobody's aware of it or is doing anything yeah. about it. Yeah, that's that's a big concern. I would be really concerned about that. Both physical and probably emotional baggage. <laughs> well, luckily for Steve and everybody else, he uh he's just a G and he didn't have any bad intentions like that. He just wanted to chug some beers and peace out. Hey, do what you got to do, man. So, you know, if nothing else He's immortalized in song because Frank Turner and John Snodgrass really enjoyed the the tale of Steve. Absolutely. And how can you not? I mean, we everybody's wanted to do that. Yeah, I just stopped showing up. I don't have any crazy <laughs> quitting stories. I just just say uh, I'm done, and then <laughs> that's I think, it. Yeah, my I think my craziest quitting story is I worked one day and then sent my name tag back with you because you were still oh, working yeah. there oh <laughs> uh, but that was telemarketing so i mean that that was horrible yeah that that was terrible yeah that was the worst kind too yes. like you've gotta just badger people yep god i forgot about that yeah and i think you only were like that it wasn't too much further along no a <laughs> couple days more than me that was i mean that's bad that was bad and i don't think i was there the whole day when i was there probably not no <laughs> which oddly enough that job we got by being two guys sitting around playing guitar together oh shit we, I guess were, we, did. We, we were sitting on the sidewalk playing guitar singing about stuff and some lady walked up and asked us to sing a song 
and you did, and then she was the hiring manager at the top marketing place. Forgot about that. Shit. Yeah, we showed up for the interview, and it was her. She was like, "Oh my god, it's you guys." Yeah, you gave us your information, like odd connection to the the general theme of the song here. That's one thing I'm starting to learn doing this podcast. Everything in music is fucking connected to something else. If, if not musically or by band members, by some kind of connection like that, you know. Hey, this just... is another one in a row that we've had band members connected because John's worked with Vinny. Vinny's in less was in less than Jake with Jr. Jr. was in Spring Hill Jack. That's the amount of times that there's odd coincidences between the two songs we have on an episode when it's our different music libraries with hundreds and hundreds of different artists between yeah. us. You know, last time was two bands from Pennsylvania. Yep. That <laughs> from were the in same Philly, area yeah. of Pennsylvania. And now we've got, you know, everybody's, con- well, everybody's kind of connected to Less Than Jake in one way or another anyway. <laughs> That's very true. Steve had to go. Steve always did the best he could. When he finally left, he had to make it good. Steve had an awesome exit plan. Steve is a fucking man. Steve is a fucking man. I think Steve's gonna like that song. Alright, again, that was The Ballad of Steve by Frank Turner and John Snodgrass off their 2010 EP, Buddies. All right, so just to recap, my song today was Where I Belong by Spring Heel Jack off their Songs from Suburbia album from 1998. And my song was The Ballad of Steve by Frank Turner and John Snodgrass off their 2010 EP, Buddies. Where can you find those songs, Dave? You can find those songs as well as all of the previously mentioned songs from the show on the Hit Shuffle podcast playlist on Spotify. And you can find us on all the social medias. Twitter and Instagram. We are at hit underscore shuffle. We have a Facebook page just the hit shuffle podcast. You can also find all of that on the website, hitshufflepodcast.com. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a review on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, or wherever you may listen to us. Uh, it really, really helps the show out. Reviews are one of the only things that the algorithms care about. Yeah. I don't understand why, but now the fun part. Yes, now we are going to do our weekly listener roll, where we will roll, and then you will shuffle that number of songs into your playlist, uh, listen to whatever song you get, and let us know what it is. And we would like to start featuring some listener songs on the podcast soon. So that's a nine. So go ahead and shuffle nine songs into your playlist. Let us know what you got. Tag us on all the socials. Give us a little story behind it. And actually, if you have any good quitting stories, yeah, go ahead and post those. I'd like to hear some if you have any. Can anyone top Steve? Yes. Has has anyone drank more than two beers and did anything bigger than pulling the emergency slide on an airplane? I have to know. Which, final interesting tidbit about that, apparently it cost the airline 10 grand to repack that slide. Oh, they're expensive. (laughs) So... Just an added bonus to just stick ten grand to the company on top of everything else. And because of that, 
For the Hedge Huffle Podcast, I've been your host, Matt. I've been your host, Dave. Stick your $10,000 slide back up your ass. Start gambling, baby.